Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now. So let us tell you something you do want to hear. No one is funnier than you. People laugh just thinking about the things you've said. I'm laughing at one of them right now. Coworkers repeat your jokes at the office, but they're never as good as when you tell them and shame on them for trying. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better knowing you could save when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. <laughs> Although I'm sure you'd have a funnier way to say that. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. The Leslie Marshall Show. A true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. so good to have all of you back the second show right we made it to the second show they say if you make it past the first one and you get a second one i gotta go right back to that uh, that profound gratitude that i expressed last week to my beloved leslie marshall for again the chance to give me this hour to be with all of you uh to share my thoughts and to bring on these incredible guests that i'm so privileged to have on on the show with me to my producer and Leslie's producer, Mark Grimaldi. I, I'm going to say it every week that I have the privilege of being on the show uh, and that I believe that he is the greatest and best producer in America. Uh, and I'm so proud to have him to my assistant, Dave Compton, who I could not do this uh, every week without so far, and I'm sure for many weeks to come. So to the three of them, again, my profound gratitude, but my most heartfelt gratitude is to each of you for being back uh, to share this time with me. Um, as, as I promised you last week, first couple of minutes of every show are going to be what I call a moment of truth, and that is spelled M-O-E-M-E-N-T. Uh, and this week, it's a little bit more somber. Last week, I wanted to give you uh, some heartfelt thoughts of how grateful I was to have the chance to do the show. Uh, and this week, we're going to start with a real moment of truth, a little more somber. I don't know if any of you are like me. I have a feeling I'm not the only one in the world who was conflicted yesterday about hearing about the passing of Rush Limbaugh. I was conflicted because my initial reaction was, I'm really glad he's gone. And my mom was 87 years old down in Texas, and to her and my fellow Texans, I also want to say to all of them, our thoughts are all with all of you right now. You are really struggling, Oklahoma as well, and other uh, parts of the nation with this incredible weather that is keeping people from having electricity uh, and heat, uh, and in some instances, even uh, no access to food. And so to my mom and all my fellow Texans, our thoughts are with all of you. But my mom's watching right now, and I want to say the reason I was conflicted was because my mama taught me when I was growing up, I hope what are the values and the principles that have sustained me throughout my journey. And one of those was that you never, ever uh, find pleasure in the death or the passing of another human being, no matter who it is. And so I was conflicted when I heard that Rush Limbaugh had, Limbaugh had died yesterday. Um, but, you know, I came down to a conclusion. 
that I wanted to share with you all in today's moment of truth. And that is that I'm not, I don't feel guilty. I don't find pleasure in his death. That's what I've concluded. But what I did come out of that emotion with was that sometimes the world is a better place without certain people in it. And that for that, I don't apologize. And for that, I don't feel guilty. I'm not glad he died. I'm just glad that the world doesn't have his evil and mean and divisive and hateful presence any longer. I think there's a difference. And let me tell you where I, why I came to that conclusion. Because, you know, I think we have to be careful. This is the lesson for me out of Rush Limbaugh's death. That, you know what, none of us should ever, not ever engage in revisionist history. Never and shall we engage in revisionist history. So to now say that, oh, somehow in his death, he was okay, he wasn't okay. We shall never forget that he actually called the AIDS epidemic, where I lost, by the way, my two best friends to AIDS in the 1980s. He mocked the AIDS epidemic. He actually thought it was a punishment for people being gay. He called it the Rock Hudson epidemic. He called feminists, feminazis, or Nazis, I, I never get, feminazis was the word he used to describe feminine, feminists in America. Uh, and I could go on, he called Chelsea Clinton the White House dog. He was forced to resign as ESPN as a football commentator for making racist comments about the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, Donovan McNabb. And I could go on and on and on and on. It never ended. Even to the last weeks of his life when he actually praised the insurrectionists at the Capitol. So my moment of truth today is the world will be a better place without Rush Limbaugh in it. Good riddance, you evil man. So now to our first guest. I hated to start with such, uh, such a negative tone, but I, re I came to that conclusion and I hope most of you agree with me. Sometimes the world is a better place without certain people in it and Rush, Rush Limbaugh is one of those. Now though, I wanna introduce somebody who the world is a better place because she's in it. And her name is Claudia Flores. She's my first guest. And the topic we're talking about today, by the way, throughout the entire show is immigration reform. And what I wanted to do today was bring Claudia onto the show as my special guest for this first half of the show. Uh, she's a senior campaign manager for immigration at the Center for American Progress. Prior to joining uh, the Center for American Progress, she led the immigration policy portfolio for the National Latina Institute uh, for Reproductive Health, where she worked on advancing federal and state legislation to expand healthcare access for immigrant families. She has a Bachelor of Science in Political Science from Santa Clara University. She's an alumna of the Congressional Hisp Hispanic Caucus in Institute and New Leaders Council. And more than anything, 
She's a dreamer. And I am so proud, Claudia, to have you on my show because you exemplify exactly what it's best of humanity. And I want to talk to you about your story because my whole purpose in having you on is to show the world that when we keep saying dreamers and DACA and immigration reform and we talk about immigration and I'll have Sergio Gonzalez on for the second half of the show where we're going to talk about Joe Biden's bill and and uh, obviously Senator Menendez and Congresswoman Sanchez's bill that they dropped yesterday in Congress, that we'll get more formal, more legislation talk, more policy talk. With you, I want to show the world. We're not, when we say dreamer, we're talking about this amazing woman. This is not just a word. This is not just immigration reform or some cold and stale topic. We're talking about this woman right here. Claudia, welcome. Let's talk about, I want to hear your story. I am, I, when I, you can tell the audience, right? When I talked to you the other day, I specifically said, don't tell me your story. Didn't I say that to you? Because I wanted to hear it and learn about you with my audience as well. And anybody who watches the show. So Claudia, start from the beginning. Where were you born? Where is your family from? And talk to us about when did, how did you get to the United States? When did you come to the United States? Thank you, Mo. Um, it's such a pleasure to be talking to you again. I love your energy. I think this is a great platform for you to share stories. Yeah. Um, and I think in terms of my personal story, uh, I mean, my journey begins with my parents. I think like most dreamers across the country, uh, we owe much of who we are uh, to the sacrifices of our families. And in my case, I grew up in Honduras. I was born and raised there in the capital. Um, Honduras is always on the news. I, I think we, we see uh, a lot of the focus now. We, we just ha had a devastation with the hurricanes there. And, you know, Honduras is one of those places that I think it's, it's a small but mighty force that uh, people that come from there, I, I like to think that we're very resilient and, and we've seen a lot of challenges, but, you know, we are people that for the most part are very optimistic and, and just want to do good, right, for ourselves, for our family. So I was born in Honduras. I was raised there for about 14 years of my life. I am much older now, uh, which makes me realize that I've spent most of my life actually living in the United States. Uh, my family resided in California. This is where I sort of planted my roots. Um, and I grew up uh, pretty much as other folks, um, you know, in, in San Jose, California, in my community. Um, and I am now in Washington, D.C., advocating on behalf of millions of families like mine. Wow. So listen, we're going to go to our first break. But when we come back, we are going to pick right up. Right. We're going to pick up right there because I want to take it from there. Right. As to how you know, wh why did you come to the United States? How did you come to the United States? And then what's been your experience? Right. As living the life of a quote unquote dreamer. Right. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Everybody stay with us. As you can tell, this is going to be really beautiful and insightful and inspirational. So stay with Claudia and I. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to In the Know with Mo. My guest today is Claudia Flores. What a, what a story. Claudia, I want to pick up where we left off before the break. We're talking about you and your arrival in the United States at the age of 14 as a dreamer. What does that mean, by the way, for those 
who, you know, may have been living under a rock for the last five years, right? But but from your, you know, from your heart and your corazón, right, what does that mean? So, so to me, um, you know, the word dreamer really derives itself from legislation, right? The famous Dream Act that would provide permanent protections to young children, I would say children of immigrants um, that arrived to the United States typically at an early age. Um, I think there are some conversations around narrative shifts and some folks that, you know, decide to not just call themselves dreamers, but also undocumented youth because the term re- dreamer um, has frankly also been utilized to create this, um, you know, dynamic between a good versus bad immigrant, right? The dreamers being the more sympathetic group of immigrants um, and our parents uh, being the ones that carry the burden of like, uh, you know, being penalized for the action of coming to the country. So I do want to acknowledge that there are those dynamics that also exist in sort of the broader undocumented youth movement. Uh, but I think for me at a personal level, and I guess at some of, uh, of a generation of folks that tends to be on the older side of, of the movement building, uh, the word dreamer to me is important because it means that you are, uh, you know, believing in the American dream. It means that, you know, your parents and even yourself has, uh, you know, this this bigger belief for what this country can do for you and what you can do for this country. Um, so I, I, I utilize the word myself, uh, but I do recognize that there are some others that you know, uh, take issue with the word, um, but but that is what it means, at least to me. I am so glad I asked you that because honestly, I had not heard anybody answer with such in such an articulate and beautiful way to educate all of us. Right, that they're not everybody likes the term, right? And I honestly, this reminds me of Latinx versus just Latin. You know, when we, you know, and with the gays, we've added Q to the LGBT, and some people think the Q belongs, and some people don't. But the bottom line is, you so beautifully just shared with us. It's 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 no matter what we call anybody, all of us are part of the global human family. And that's why that was the message I wanted to to make sure that our audience understood today. Uh, it doesn't matter what we call anybody, right? The fact of the matter is that you, Claudia Flores, and me, Movela, both have a heart. We have dreams, we have fears, we have aspirations, right? But let's get to some, another part of this. So so bottom line is you were brought to the country like millions of others, uh, whether we call them dreamers or undocumented youth or whatever, uh, you were brought to the country by no decision of your own, right? I mean, bottom line, that's kind of what what all of the youth that were brought have in common probably, right? That are quote unquote undocumented youth or right. dreamers, right? So, and then yet you came here and like you said a minute ago, don't think it got by me. What you said was, I, I realize now at your age that you've been in America longer probably than you were in Honduras, right? And so so let's be clear here. To you, America is your country, right? Right. And so you went to Santa Clara University. You are now immigration policy director at the Center for American Progress. Right. So you are contributing to our country in such a profound and powerful and valuable way. So what has been your experience? Why are people uh, obsessed out there with not letting you have the chance to to become a legal resident and an American citizen? Ultimately, why would they be against that? So. I think for me, 
what I would like your audience to know is that you often hear this idea of like, why don't people become legal? Why do they just become citizens? And I would say that I'll be the first one in line if there was such thing as a line to get into citizenship. The problem is that there is no pathway. Uh, My journey, as I was sharing earlier, uh, does begin in Honduras. Uh, in 98, there had been a terrible devastation that was left by Hurricane mm-hmm. Mitch, which was actually one of the deadliest hurricanes that mm-hmm. impacted the Western Hemisphere at that time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the economic devastation that followed obviously trickled down through all areas of society and it impacted my family. Yeah. My father emigrated first, so my family experienced a period of family separation. And then mm-hmm. my family eventually joined him in the United States. Um, and I think where my story, I would say... Um, differs perhaps a little bit from others, but at least it's it's what's given me purpose is that when we arrive in the United States, just a few months into it, uh, you know, I'm 14 years old, you're still a teen figuring out life, what you mm. want, you're still rebellious. I'm in this new country that I, I know nothing about really. Um, and my youngest sister, I'm, I'm the eldest, uh, but my youngest sister uh, became very ill. It was around my birthday. Uh, I vividly remember because my birthday is in October. And me my too. sister- Yeah, great. Well, I don't know if you're a Libra or a Scorpio, but um, I'm both. I'm on the 23rd, so I'm both Libra and Scorpio. Yeah. No way. That is my birthday. So um, we just found something in common. That's great. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that later. Obviously, we're going to celebrate on the 23rd. We'll talk about our joint celebration. Yeah. Right. So, Um, so, you know, around. Yes. So around my birthday, uh, you know, my sister, who was only four at the time, uh, became very sick um, and she started to experience what were very cold like symptoms. You know, it's much colder in the United States. So we're assuming that it's just maybe a common cold. Uh, Things worsen over time. And, um, you know, to give you the short story, uh, she's diagnosed with cancer at age four. Um, and, and that was a pivotal moment in my family's journey because that is what actually prompted us to stay in order to seek care for my sister. Yeah. And I always think back and now as I'm older and I understand um, much more the plight of my parents, I began to realize uh, because I've often wondered, you know, why couldn't things maybe have gone differently? And I think to myself, if I were a parent and I have a child who is sick, what is it that I'm going to prioritize? Obviously, the safety of my child. And in this case, there were immigration decisions, there were immigration consequences. And one of them was that we overstayed our visas. And that has been my journey in America um, as 40 percent right, of undocumented immigrants who have gone through similar pathways. Right. Yeah. They, they come here legally. Um but, you know, that's where my story begins. And I think for folks who are listening, um, you know, that really became a moment that shaped my life and not just dealing with my sister's health diagnosis and, you know, cancer changes an entire family dynamic, yes, but also learning to live in the United States and experience all these changes all at once. Um, and for many years, uh, frankly, Mo, I wasn't comfortable sharing my story. I wasn't comfortable talking about my family or even sharing that I was a dreamer because I was you know, I was fearful that sure. friends, people who knew me would judge me a certain way or judge my family. Uh, and most importantly, that fear of, of deportation and retaliation by sure. the government. Sure. Um, so that is sort of the constant struggle that I think folks that have been uh, living with lack of status feel. Yeah, I can't even I can't even imagine, uh, I, you know, I can't fathom and I can't imagine that daily anxiety, that fear, and that stress. But I just want to tell you as we're coming to an end with our time together here, I want to have you back, first of all, 
right? Because we need a whole hour together. But uh, And now we share a birthday, so we definitely have to spend more time together. But I want to thank you for being who you are. I want to thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story, because that's what In the Know with Mo is all about. I, I Last week, I shared some of my vulnerabilities, and I will always share them on the show. You came on, and you were brave, and you were you, and we love you. And we thank you for the contributions you're making to America. And we can't wait to have you just be part of our family for the rest of your life and our lives. Hi, welcome back to In the Know with Mo. Um, today we're talking about immigration reform. Um, if you just missed the first half of the show, let me just recap for you. Um, we had an amazing guest on named Claudia Flores. She's a dreamer. And what I, I brought Claudia onto the show because I wanted to, to demonstrate to everybody that we're, we're, we're talking about immigration reforms too many times, in my opinion, it just becomes this kind of uh, impersonal, if you will, distant, kind of cold, stale, formal discussion about policy and legislation. And we're about to talk about that in a minute with my next guest. But, but I wanted to bring Claudia on as an example that we're talking about human beings. We're talking about our fellow, our brothers and sisters, our fellow human beings. And hearing her story just touched my heart profoundly because it was exactly what I wanted to share with all of you. These are, these are people, whether they're dreamers, they're undocumented youth, whether it's her parents, whether somebody came on a visa and overstayed, whether they never had a visa at all, I, listen, I don't, I'm not going to get into that debate, but here's what I wanted to make sure we all understood from Claudia's story and the story of millions others like her, millions of others like her. And that is that there were, we all have a plight. We all have a plight that, that there she was sharing a vulnerable story uh, without fear of retribution, right? That, that, it was so uh, profound. How can anybody not relate to that story? Which of you as a parent, I, I don't have the privilege and honor of being a parent. It's my only regret in life. But for all of you who are parents, which one of you d cannot relate to the fact that her, her father came here first on a visa, right? And then he brought his family with him from Honduras. And then their, their young child gets cancer, and they made the most you know, painful decision to not go back to their home country so that that little girl had a chance to survive because of our healthcare system and because she would receive the care that she deserves as a, as a young child. Who can't relate to that? Who wouldn't do that for their child? And this is why I'm so frustrated with anybody who is just adamantly against um, giving people like Claudia the chance to gain citizenship or legal residency or to just be, have legal status. How could anybody be against that? How cold, how callous, how inhumane one must be. Now, all of that said, I'm also an attorney, right? So I understand, um, so I understand the argument that we are a nation of laws. We are. And yes, there have to be consequences when we break our laws, right? And so what a segue to the indomitable Sergio Gonzalez, who uh, is on, let me just say, he's, he, he, uh, he was stuck on a call and 
And I want to tell him that I coined a phrase to describe when we are late. I call it gay-tino time. He got three minutes for gay and three minutes for Latino. See, he, you're really on time, Sergio, so don't worry about it because that's called gay-tino time. We're so happy to have you on In the Know with Mo. By the way, let me tell you all who this guy is. This is the, by the way, congratulations, Sergio, the newly named executive director of the Immigration Hub. Um, he was the deputy director since 2018. He was on the Biden and Harris transition team, help, uh, working on Latino and immigration issues for this, um, the transition team. Um, uh, let's see, uh, he, prior to joining the Immigration Hub, he was senior policy advisor to this lady that some of you might have heard of named Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, when she was a United States Senator. Sergio was her senior policy advisor. He was very instrumental earlier in his career working with Senator Michael Bennett, when he was a member of the Gang of Eight in crafting immigration reform. I know all of you are aware of that. But as proud as I am of all of Sergio's accomplishments, the proudest thing I get to say is he's one of my closest friends. He's like my little brother. I simply love Sergio Gonzalez. It's that simple. And so Sergio, to have you on the show means so much to me, not just professionally for all of the things we just described, but it, it means so much to me to have you here personally, because I adore you. Sergio, with your permission, I have to tell the story of where we when we first yes. met. Can I do that? And then we're going to move to immigration. Tell it. The we're going to tap your expertise and your brilliance. People need to know the story. It, it, it's, so I get a phone call <laughs> when I, I think I was still in the White House, wasn't I, Sergio, working for Joe Biden? And I get a phone call from a fellow Coloradoan that was a friend of both mine and Sergio's, and she says, this young gay Latino who is the future of the Democratic Party, he is smart as hell. He's like the most brilliant young gay Latino you'll ever meet. And I go, for God's sakes, of course, I'll go have coffee. She wanted me to have coffee with him. I met him at a Starbucks a block away from the White House. And he shows up in this impeccable suit with the tie and just, as you can see, just as debonair as he looks today. Uh, as always, right? And uh, I sh I'm at the Starbucks. He walks in. I get up. I give him a big hug. He sits down. And you could just tell he thought this was going to be this guy from the White House. Very formal discussion, right, Sergio? And I sit down. I pull up a chair real close to him. I lean over and I say, so let's start from the very beginning. A very good place to start, right? And I sing from the sound of music as my way to say, tell me about yourself. Yeah, and since I, that moment, we have been brothers, haven't we? Yeah, he knew, you knew the way to my heart. And it, <laughs> a, a good show too. <laughs> a good show. And we have been singing show tunes together for almost 10 yeah. years or nine years since then. Yeah. So Sergio, let's move to an issue I know that is very, very, very important to you. Clearly every day of your life, you're running the Immigration Hub. First of all, tell us what the Immigration Hub is, what your purpose is and what you guys are doing. And then I wanna get into some actual facts and figures and data, right? We, we have a new immigration bill that was filed yesterday. We're gonna to get to that. But tell us about the Immigration Hub. Sure. The Immigration Hub is a national organization that's dedicated to advancing fair, humane and functional immigration policies. We were formed in 2017, so the onset of the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. And um, knowing that 
there was going to be a nonstop barrage of attacks by President Trump on immigrant communities, which um, unfortunately proved to be the case. And so really we were formed as a rapid response organization, also as an organization to help convene an array of organizations across the spectrum um, to advance these fair and just policies. So currently we have a partnerships table of around 270 national wow. state organizations that work collectively on immigration policies. We also um, you know, do a lot of communications and work on the Hill and with the administration to develop and advance those kind of policies that I just talked about, mm-hmm. whether it's legalization for the 11 million or it's issues related to building a more fair and humane system for receiving asylum seekers at the border. Um, we really, we really uh, work across quite a diverse and wide sweeping set of um, immigration issues. Wow, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And and here I am is so close. You and I are such close friends, and I swear to God, I didn't know all of that. And so I'm so glad I asked you the question. So look, the, the next thing I want, want to talk about real quickly is, um, so first, let's make it clear. Not only were you involved back when, when you were with Senator Bennett on the Gang of Eight with the immigration reform bill then, I'm assuming that you were very much a part of what was filed yesterday as well and was at the table uh, right in the development of the Biden administration's initiative. Yep, yep. the U.S. Citizenship Act. Um, Is that what it's called? Okay. Yep. Very much so. You know, work on that bill began um, a lo- months ago, a long mm-hmm. time um, during the transition. Mm-hmm. And the bill is transformational in that it really um, puts in place a new framework for reform that is not rooted in mass enforcement policies, which mm. traditionally has been the way that immigration policies have been constructed in a reform bill. Um, and what that means is Uh, Usually in the past, what we've seen when people talk about comprehensive immigration reform bills is like, we're going to do legalization for the 11 million, but you're going to need to also put in place billions of more dollars of border security and billions of more dollars to um, ICE. Uh, And this bill changes that. This bill acknowledges that we've had billions of dollars spent over the last 20 years on immigration enforcement. We've seen that operationalized and weaponized under President Trump um, and and how devastating that's been for families and communities in our country. And this bill acknowledges that and says, no, enforcement has been done. It's actually a better way. Actually hurt us. And there's a better way to do it. And when we come back, Sergio, we're going to pick right up there, right there, right? We're going to, I keep getting that phrase wrong. We're going to pick up right there and we're going to talk more about that and this better way. Okay. And And we have Sergio Gonzalez with us. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome back to In the Know with Mo. Our guest today is Sergio Gonzalez the executive director of the Immigration Hub, one of our nation's foremost experts on immigration policy and immigration reform. Uh, We are so fortunate to have him because this is such a relevant topic right now. Uh, We're talking with Sergio right now as the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration, uh, and Senator Menendez and Congresswoman Sanchez, of course, filed legislation yesterday uh, for immigration reform. So, Sergio, thank you again so much for being here. 
uh, it means so much to me. So let's pick up where we left off. First of all, before we talk a little bit more about the actual legislation, can yeah. you just update us real quickly on where are we on the DACA, on DACA status, right? Because it's been in, in upheaval uh, and I think there's a lot of confusion. So where are we today on DACA? Right, so the President Biden, one of his first actions on January 20th, um, came into office and um, issued uh, an order that basically instructs DOJ to undergo the process to preserve DACA. And so um, he, this is a commitment he made during the campaign. This is something that is very important to this administration. Um, and so, you know, D the Department of Justice mm -hmm. uh, and the Department of Homeland Security ultimately will need to do the work of reestablishing DACA and what mm -hmm. that like remains to be seen in terms of, you know, the, the various components of the program. Um, right. However, uh, also, or I should say also, um, the bill that was introduced today um, in the House by Representative Sanchez includes uh, a pathway to citizenship for the nation's dreamers. We are also working with United We Dream and um, other um, um, people who advocate um, for dreamers and for DACA uh, to um, to uh, push the House to introduce H.R. 6, the Dream and Promise Act. Yeah. That was a bill that was passed last year that mm -hmm. provides a path to citizenship for DREAMers as well as TPS holders. These are people who live in our country um, and, uh, and who have been doing work in our country for years and years. They're critical to our economy that also need um, legalization. So basically, I guess the, the simple way of saying it is that um, we know that President Biden and Vice President Harris are committed to uh, to you know reinstituting DACA into, mm -hmm. into fortifying. I believe their words were actually strengthening and fortifying DACA. Right. Um, and also simultaneously, we need a legislative solution. We need Congress to act to actually pass legislation. I'll just say this on DACA. You know, it was 20 years. It was it was back. Sorry, not 20 years, but it was 2010. It was when the DREAM Act um, passed the House but failed in the Senate. In the Senate. Really, a, and, and you were here in D.C. That was a very yep. heartbreaking moment for a lot of immigration activists. Yes. That was a heartbreaking moment for the DREAMer community. And 21 year, years, or sorry, uh, 11 years later, we're still waiting, despite the fact that 60% um, to 70% of the American public support DACA. Right, two thirds of the American public support dreamers and want to see a path to citizenship for mm. for dreamers. And so, this is an area where there is wide support across the American electorate, and Congress has really failed to get this done. And Sergio, why is that? What are the what are these asinine reasons that that people would not be supportive of? passing, for example, the DREAM Act or, you know, a certain portions of the reform that you're talking about? Right. Well, I, I want to be very clear in who the problem has been, because this is not a all of them problem. This is a Republican issue. Republicans um, in Congress have been completely obstinate and unwilling to get this problem solved. And mm. they know that it is a popular issue with the American public, that the American public support dreamers. And so oftentimes what you'll see is certain members of Congress, uh, Republican members of Congress, say one thing and do another. They say, yeah. oh, I support dreamers and I support DACA. 
but they don't actually get on board to pass legislation to support Dreamers and protect Dreamers and protect DACA. Right. Senator John Cornyn has done that. There have been people in the House that have done that oftentimes, especially in more moderate districts. And so- um, So they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, really. Sides of their mouths. I mean, so that, that's, that represents a lot of the Republican caucus. So we need them to actually um, put money to their to put money uh, on what they're saying and to and to and to act to support dreamers and DACA. So Sergio, then let's go back to the better way, right? Which I love that we're describing, uh, right? The the Menendez Sanchez and and the Biden and Harris administration legislation, immigration reform legislation in that way. Why is what is it about it that is a better way? What can you just enlighten us a little bit? I know you were extremely instrumental in helping to craft this bill that was, and I stand corrected, it was filed today, not yesterday. I apologize for that. Um, but can you enlighten us? Why? What is it about her that about it is that it's a better way? It makes sweeping reforms to our immigration system, but it really is centered around that path to citizenship for um, the 11 million. And, and that is the definitional fight right mm -hmm. now in the immigration space. Um, the 11 million immigrants have been living in this country. Many of them have been living in this country for decades. Many of them have been working in their communities for decades as small business owners, as healthcare professionals, as caregivers, as farm workers. Um, and I think especially during this pandemic where immigrants have played an outsized role as essential workers. That's right. You know that there's around 5.2 million undocumented essential workers in the country getting food to our tables, mm. making sure that um, you know, uh, delivery drivers, um, uh, healthcare givers. Um, so I think like first and foremost, this is something out of all the things in this bill, because there's a lot of things like that is what this bill is centered around. And like, that's what we need to get done this year mm -hmm. is we need to we get this path to, to citizenship. But the bill also does a number of other things, which is it takes a new approach to the border. So instead of mm -hmm. just spending billions and billions of more dollars on border security. Border security, yeah. It, it, the philosophy is more around, in the bill, border management, right? Understanding that the border, is, and you're from Brownsville, so yeah. you get this. The border is a very, it's a vibrant, and it, it's a vibrant, um, it, it is a vibrant piece of our economy. It has a vital role to our economy because of trade, not only yeah. the of good, but also because of the flow of people. And this is really important to our economy. It's also important to families because mm. in that region, right, you have people who have families on both sides, both sides. Yeah. in Latin America, as well as the United States. Right. I mean, so migration is a very natural thing and it's a really important thing. It's something that has actually made America stronger. And so the, the, the bill recognizes that we need to take a new approach to the border by working with border communities Mm -hmm. to do border management rather than mass militarized border security. Yeah, oh, wonderful. Um, wow, I, 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 so, you know, there was an article that, by the way, congratulations on being quoted today in Newsweek, an excellent, excellent article and an excellent quote from you uh, regarding this very topic. Um, let me ask you this, today Politico ran an article um, also about how bleak the chances were, right? Because 
Let's talk about that real quickly because I don't. Not everybody understands the legislative process the way you do, uh, Robbie. Obviously, you're an expert in it, and and I'm four rungs below you on that, right? I'm like far from an expert, but I have a fundamental understanding of it, right? But most people don't across the country, right? Yeah. Um, and so let's go. You know, we've got a couple minutes left. I just want to say so if this immigration bill that we're discussing it needs how many votes to pass? if it's done uh, outside of the budget reconciliation process. So it needs what, 60 votes in the Senate? Right, so you need to get 60 votes in the Senate. And that's what they're saying would be very hard to do. Right, so I wanna be very clear in the remaining minutes about our position at the hub as well as the position of the coalition of organizations. It's called We Are Home. It's Mm -hmm. a coalition of over 100 organizations of which we're a part of that are fighting for immigration reform this year. Um, Our position is that we very much welcome the Biden bill, but we also are very clear eyed about um, the obstinance uh, of Republicans Mm -hmm. and that and that Trumpism, unfortunately, still runs very rampant among that party. We need to be willing to use every tool in our toolbox to get this done, because communities across the country and families are depending on us to get this done. We cannot wait. It's been 35 years since Urco was passed under Ronald Reagan. We've had seven presidents since mm-hmm. that time. Millions of, of lives have been um, disproportionately impacted yeah. by not getting immigration reform done. So like, let's get it done this year and we need to use every tool. And that includes using reconciliation if we need to. And so we've called on Congress, the CHC actually sent a letter saying, like, we need to make sure that we're taking care of essential workers and dreamers and TPS right. holders um, in the next COVID package. Because there's a friend of mine, Lorella Praley, who's the president of Community Change, and she said something that I thought was really um, important. She said, how can you be essential and deportable at the same time? Mm. That is like the Wow, that is, what a great way to end our time together. That is powerful. You, my dear friend and brother, are powerful. I, I'm, I'm actually choked up. I'm so proud of you. Oh. I really am. I remember you as a young kid sitting in that Starbucks. And look at you now, Sergio, making an enormous difference in our nation and in the world and absolutely changing people's lives. I can see why you became the new executive director of the Immigration Hub. Our country is blessed to have your leadership, blessed to have your brilliance. I am blessed to call you my friend. I love you. Thank you for being with on the show with us today. Love you, Mo. Thank you. The thing about comparing rates at Progressive.com is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about comparing rates at Progressive.com. We probably don't even need the words comparing rates anymore to remind you that seasoning steaks at Progressive.com is an easy way to save on car insurance. Or that swimming in trousers helps you find the lowest rate. And that's the thing about foraging for truffles. You've heard a lot of ads about standing tiptoe on a cinder block. Compare rates and sing softly to a wounded field mouse and save at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. If your friends haven't told you, McDonald's Spicy Chicken McNuggets are back. The ones made with spicy tempura and aged cayenne. But before you go telling friends, make sure you get them first. Order ahead on the McDonald's app. For a limited time at participating McDonald's.